I praise God by um, praying and worshiping Him and also telling others about Him and inviting people to things that, like parties and things that we can tell people about mm -hmm. Him. That's so special. Miranda, how do you praise God? I praise God through, I feel like the biggest thing is through time with friends where you just get to, whether it's worship, you're driving in the car blasting worship music, or you're on a hike and you have a moment where you're like, whoa, God is so good. And so inviting him into those little things. And then also like, I love those intentional quality time moments with people where you get to hear what God's doing in their lives where, um, you can't help but praise and worship and, and adore God in those moments. Good morning, everyone. How are you? You get your eyes, it looks good. You know, we, uh, one of the things that I would think all of us do is we greet people in different ways, right? You may have your traditional greetings of saying hello to your family, to your friend, when you see somebody. I can tell how some of you like to greet um, on a Sunday morning. Some I have to wear like protection because you come in so hard that I'm like, I think I broke my ribs. Some are like, Pastor Dale, it's nice to see you. Blessings to you, whatever. We all have our own ways, right? We have our own ways depending how you grew up of how we answer the phone, right? There's a traditional way for a lot of families, English-speaking families that just say hello. There's other traditions for different places. I remember growing up and my dad started working from home for more, uh, more often. And when the phone would ring, we'd have to say, hello, this is the Gustafson family, Dale speaking, may I help you? And my dad was like, this is more professional than you going, yo, did a little research. And even though Thomas Edison wanted the word hello, I love this, Alexander Graham Bell, actually was trying to promote, when you answer the phone, you say, ahoy. <laughs> I may start that. Different kind of greetings in different cultures. In Tibet, there is a uh, tradition because of their embracing of reincarnation. There was a really evil king in the ninth century that supposedly had a black tongue. So it became a tradition that to prove that they were not a reincarnation of this evil king, when they greeted each other, they stuck out their tongue at each other. And it continues today in a lot of ways. Some cultures do the air kiss on the cheeks by side to side. Some cultures will bow to each other. Some cultures um, shake hands in different ways. I know in Rwanda because they're very well aware of their own hands and they don't want to cause another hand to be dirty, they'll grab each other's wrist. So when that first happened to me, I went in for a handshake and they grabbed my wrist. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing. It's not so their own hand doesn't get dirty. They don't want to pass it on to somebody else. When I lived in Hawaii, I learned a lot of things, but one of the ways they embrace each other is a kiss on the cheek. And actually the word haole, which is they refer to white people, means without spirit or without breath. Because when the first white people showed up there, they would reach their hand out versus coming in to hug and breathing on each other. So when they told me, Dale, it literally means you're without breath. I'm like, huh. So I got involved in the hugging and kissing of my church. So they would kiss you on the cheek. There was one lady though. She wasn't even from there. She was a lip kisser. She, you know, it was very like, oh, 
that kind of thing. She came in and she just would kiss me. And I'm like, what just happened? She did it the next week again. But the third week, I thought, I'm going to just turn. Well, I turned too soon, and then she adjusted as well and still got me on the lips. So I learned with her, you hold steady, you hold steady, it's coming, and last second I'd go, and then she'd hit me there. (laughs) Needless to say, we greet each other in different ways. It matters. It matters if we don't greet each other. But what if there was a greeting that was so consistent in Scripture, it was more than that. It actually revealed some of the mysteries of the universe. You're like, that seems pretty big. What if it provided a map for where creation is heading, how how we get there, and then how we're called to live in the meantime? That seems way too much for just a greeting. So maybe our topic this morning isn't just a greeting, but something of significance. It actually feels something very weighty when I got to the end of this. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We place this before you. As we looked at last week, God, you call your followers, Jesus, your followers, the holy people set apart. Not because of what we've done, but what you have done for us. I pray you help us continue to learn and to grow and to be open. In your name, amen. In every letter that the Apostle Paul writes, if you've read the different letters, even to the individuals, he says the same thing every single time. It's the words grace and peace. You can look at every single one of these letters and go through that, and there's always grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you. When he's writing to Timothy, he throws in one extra word, grace, mercy, and peace to you. While all of us can have these automated things on our emails that kind of has a tagline, this is not that. All of us can have a signature that identifies how we want to be addressed, so what our role is, and every single time, but this is not that. Paul is doing something of incredible significance here. First of all, he's combining two different things. He's combining a Greek greeting of peace, I mean of grace and a Jewish greeting of peace. He's saying to the Greeks, chadis or kadis. He's saying to the Jews, shalom. And he's putting it together saying, this is now the body of Christ. We all long for some kind of peace. We all enjoy getting grace. But it's not just that emotional thing in the moment. It's bigger. To bring focus, Paul says this, grace and peace to you. Where is this coming from? From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. You see, grace, as we know, is God's amazing disposition of kindness and favor to the world. It's not just as if we're grinding away and every once in a while God goes, oh, here's a little grace, good luck with that. Even though many times we have a hard time, people come up to me and be like, hey, can you throw one of those up to the big guy for me? And I'm like, the big guy's here for you as well. But yeah, when you throw it up, I'm like, it's not about just throwing things up. It's not just about random moments of grace. There's something consistent about that. 
You see, one of the things that we'll see about the Apostle Paul, and I think this is one of the key things for all of us, so soak this in. He never forgot the place that grace had in his transformation. He never forgot where he came from. He was always going to make sure others knew it as well. See, in his letter to Timothy, he reminds us of this. He says this. Here is a trustworthy statement saying, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. There's something deeply connected about Paul saying, I am the worst sinner of all. I got grace as Jesus' way of showing patience. The absence of patience is also the absence of letting grace come into your life. It's probably also the absence of where you've been yourself. When I become impatient, I just think that I have never been like that other person. And then I'm praying that Pharisee prayer, God, thank you so much for not making me like them. That's what impatience is. A community without patience is a community without grace. The reason we receive communion every single week now is a constant reminder of grace, of mercy that we receive from Jesus. This is why we take a posture of receiving it because it costs him everything. It costs us nothing. And God gives the grace and we receive it. But grace isn't cheap. We throw it around sometimes. We use it in different ways. We think about just letting people off the hook. It bothers us sometimes. It bothers us when we let people off the hook. It bothers us when we don't hold people stronger accountable sometimes. But what do we do with it? How do we value grace and show grace at the same time? This doesn't mean we withhold it, but we've got to figure out how to value it. Our Jewish brothers and sisters this past week spent a time in Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a a time, a festival, a a remembrance that actually is described back in Leviticus 23. Now, I understand that people could remember this in different ways, in different families, in different synagogues. But really, it's designed to be a day to tell the truth about yourself. It's designed to be a day where you let go and you understand the goodness of God of how he forgives you. Telling the truth about yourself. That's why I have journals that when I die, I tell Lisa, just burn this. There's a lot of truth telling in these journals of mine. And no, I will not be reading them out loud in church. You see, there's three central themes to Yom Kippur. Everyone gathers together. Everyone denies themselves some physical pleasures, whether it's fasting or drink or sexual relations, and nobody works. But the design is a congregational act focused on self-denial to tell the truth about yourself. 
the sins of the past year and to receive God's grace. And that may be a different rhythm. We don't celebrate and remember that, but there's something deeply rich about that idea that God had placed as he was setting apart his people to be holy. Like we talked about last week, we are called to be holy people. So in Leviticus, when God's pulling people out of Egypt and they're these slaves and now they're in the wilderness, he goes, I'm gonna create some of these things for you to understand what it is to be holy. And part of being holy is the rhythm of telling yourself the truth because he is a gracious God. So when Paul says grace to you, he's telling you the truth. And how do we receive that? It's by telling ourselves the truth and still letting it in. It's a powerful time of truth telling. You see, if we attempt to move on past our sin without truth telling, that's when we cheapen God's grace. We just add it to the things we already have. In his English translation of his amazing classic book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a little light reading for you. I'll say what he says about cheap grace. See what you think. Cheap grace means grace at the bargain basement goods. Cut rate forgiveness. Cut rate comfort. Cut rate sacrament. Grace as the church's inexhaustible pantry from which it is doled out by careless hands without hesitation or limit. It is grace without a price, without costs. The church that teaches us this doctrine of grace thereby confers such grace upon itself. The world finds in this church a cheap cover-up for its sins, for which it shows no remorse, from which it has been even less desire to be set free. Cheap grace means justification of sin, but not the sinner. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It is baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. I wish Dietrich got to the point. The idea here is that it needs to be complete. So when Paul says grace to you, he's reminding you to remember the things that you have done while receiving everything that Jesus has for you at the same moment. And when we do that, it shows up differently. Peace, shalom. Jesus used this word a lot. I think a lot more than what Paul did. Paul was really trying to remember buying people about the salvation. But Jesus brought this comfort, brought this shalom. There was this moment that you all know of called the Last Supper. He's sitting in a room with his disciples. He's telling them once again what's about to happen. They're celebrating. They're having fun. They're, they're rejoicing. They're remembering these things. And then the conversation turns and he starts saying, man, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. Another one of you is going to deny me. And then he's talking about dying. This must have been one of the most anxious, fearful times in his disciples' lives. It's like a friend of yours telling you they have terminal cancer. The difference is they may have some time still, but they're like, we're going to lose our friend. We've been walking with the Messiah. 
No, 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 Jesus, you, you cannot, you cannot. It's what they understood. Because they said, we need you here in order to, ha- to love you. If you go, how can we even love you anymore? That moment must have been intense. Jesus says these words to them in this moment where they needed peace. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching, and these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, so many other structures of faith or religions believe, I'm going to make peace with God by doing things, and then I'll get his grace. What our faith says, you receive grace, which brings you to peace with God. The enemy is going to keep telling you, you don't deserve the grace. You've got to make peace first. You've got to do the things. And what Jesus says is, grace I give you. Peace I give you. When Paul says grace and peace, he's reminding you of a trajectory of your life each and every day. We can drift in getting into the peace and grace mentality so easily, but then we miss the Christian faith altogether. I'm sure this is not information for you, but we live in a world of anxiety. Anybody know that? And it's just increased, at least the identification of it. Here's some things in case you didn't know. Anxiety, of course, has a purpose. It protects us from harm. Psychologist Rolo May first wrote in 1977. We're no longer prey to tigers and mastodons, but to damage to, but to, damage to our own self-esteem, ostracism by our group, or the threat of losing out in a competitive struggle. The form of anxiety has changed, but the experience remains relatively the same. In other words, even though humans today aren't chased by predators, we are chased by uncertainty about the health of our loved ones. Whether we'll have a job next week or next year, whether our company will go bankrupt, worries that provoke the same neurological and physical responses. Oh, I'll go on. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, how do I sign up? Stress is a response to a threat in a situation. Anxiety is a reaction to that stress. Anxiety is a fear of what might happen in the future. Sometimes that fear is rational and sometimes not. Sometimes it's about something that will happen in three minutes Stepping into a stage, make a presentation, for example, or in 30 years, wondering if you have enough money to retire. And another one, the United States, anxiety is the most common mental illness, affecting more than 40 million adults each year. Data from the National Institute of Mental Health has indicated that about 30% of Americans experience clinical anxiety at some point in their lives. Globally, 
according to the Institute of, for Health Metrics and Evaluation, an estimated 284 million people had anxiety disorders of 2017. That was before we went through what we went through as well, making it the most prevalent mental disorder worldwide. These numbers will only increase in the wake of a pandemic. You're like, why are we telling this? I recently went to a conference, a one-day conference by a guy named Steve Cuss, who focuses on leadership anxiety. He's a pastor, he's a believer, and he says, if you don't pay attention to the own anxiety in your heart, you're not paying attention to grace and peace. He wrote, most of us are in anxiety's grip, but unaware of the squeeze, all of us carry more pressure than we realize, and it can take a serious toll. Exhaustion and burnout have more to do with anxiety than workload. The problem isn't too much to do, it's tension, it's pressure, it's relational strain, what you're carrying under the surface. This was eye-opening for me. Because so many times I can say, if I just believe God and if I'm just good enough, this will go away without just saying, I just need to call it for what it is. He goes on to give some specific things. These lava, these anxiety bubbles, when someone emails and says, hey, we need to meet. So don't start your email with that, please. When you're driven by control or perfection, approval, always being there for people. When you keep running into yourself, your negative habits, your tendencies, when you struggle to shake criticism and wish you were thicker skinned, when your inner critic speaks louder than the voice of God, when someone violates your unspoken values, when some of your team have their own meetings after your meeting, when you're not sure how to address a staff member's chronic bad habits, and when you see anxiety spread in a group but don't know how to manage it. For some of you, I know some of these hit home. Most of these hit home with me. How desperately need a place that believes in peace, in shalom. I'm not just talking about the absence of conflict. I'm talking about the creation and blowing up of chaos. Because the shalom that God gives actually breaks chaos. So Paul's greeting is not just, hey, How's it going? But it's a reminder of salvation and future. So what's our actions as individuals and as a church? Remember, as we talked about last week, we are now holy people. This isn't like a place of piety, of perfection. It's just God that you are set apart. I got a special purpose for you. That's who you are. And as we talked about this last May when we talked through renewal with the Holy Spirit in our lives, it used to be a space in the Old Testament where people came to meet God. It was like in the middle of the tabernacle or maybe the temple or the Holy of Holies. Like this is where God was and you went to meet him. When the Holy Spirit came and is in you, now you are a mobile temple of God. Like now you go and God goes with you wherever you go. So how do we move forward with this? How are we together? Paul gives this instructions to Galatia. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, 
neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When they first heard this, I guarantee you it blew their mind. Why? Because there weren't gatherings of Jews and Gentiles. There weren't gatherings of male and female. For a Gentile to say, I'm now in the chosen place, this blew their mind. And you're like, it's not like that today. Oh yeah? Is there separation of male and female? Is there hierarchies? Is there ways we view people of different ethnicities? Are there times when we put our place in a place of authority? It just looks different today. You see, this line of we are in Christ together, and I'm going to poke a little bit here. Just giving you a heads up. There's no place for racism. There's no place for classism. There's no place for chauvinism. There's no place for any other kind of isms that degrade people, that don't include them, that we are one in Christ. You see, there's no real space for prejudice in grace and peace. It's really easy, my friends, and I've done this so much, to say, I'm not prejudiced, because I, I, I just, I'm not. But this is also what I've learned. There's a that thing called a blind spot. By definition, you don't see it until you ask others, is there something I'm not seeing? And then you listen. When was the last time you asked somebody different than you? Male, female, different ethnicity than you, different age than you, that you ask them, if you're willing, can you tell me your story or how you see this? And then you just listen. You're like, I may do that all the time. My guess is a lot of us say, hey, tell me your story. Here's where I'm poking. You know what you're doing? You're still in the place of authority. Take yourself out of the place of authority and don't tell people to tell you things. Say, if you're willing. Man, I'd love to hear it sometime, but it's up to you if you want to tell me that or not. And then you listen. You see, so many times that's the difference of submitting yourself under somebody else. A church and people who lead with grace and peace, we enter into a posture of learning, of humility, of empathy and compassion. My daughter who is, uh, my wife is Japanese. Her parents immigrated from Japan, if you didn't know. So my daughter is biologically half and half, but she will identify, will, will say a lot like she loves her Asian heritage. She just does. One time a lady at her church, not this church, another church, during the time when there was a lot of tension in the Asian community, came up to her and said, this Asian hate thing, it's not really a thing, is it? People are just complaining a lot. If you know my daughter, she had a few things to say. It enraged her. Because in this person's mind, they didn't do anything, so therefore everybody else is complaining. So my daughter shared a little bit, well, this is some of my experiences. 
These are some of my mom's experiences. These are some of my grandparents' experiences. So before you tell me that it's just made up, why don't you ask me, what are some things you've experienced? And then we listen. A person in church marked by grace and peace asks, something like this, I've heard about these kinds of things. What is your experience in this? You see, Paul doesn't stop with just dressing ethnic prejudice or ethnic diversity. He talks about male and female. Now, I'm not sure what you've experienced or have believed, just as many women have been being marginalized by a culture of men in the workplace. That also exists in the church a lot. Now, there might be a few of you who might get really nervous right now because what is Dale going to say? Hang on. In his book called The Church Called Tove, which means the church, a good church, the church of goodness, author Scott McKnight writes this. How the church treats women is often a barometer of its culture and how it will treat people in general. And when you consider that women make up more than half the congregation in most churches, it seems like an essential place to start. Churches and pastors that develop cultures of empathy and compassion to all people, especially those who have experienced the pain of being marginalized, will become a place of grace and peace. In such a culture, women's giftings will flourish, their voices will be heard, and they will be safe. In such a culture, women will become far more visible and valued, and the church is a place of tov, which is the goodness of God. I'm telling you, there are a couple spaces in God's word where Paul is answering a group of people about how to gather well together, and he does make this one statement where he tells women to be quiet in the church. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, people have pointed that verse, you see women should be quiet in the church. And they ignore all the other times in scripture where women are leading churches and women are preaching and women are judges and, and they're being elevated. And Jesus spent time with women. And who was the first testimony of Jesus rising from the dead? It was a woman who went to the grave and saw it was empty. And she went and told. A church of grace and peace sees what God wants to do in everybody. I hold this very dear to my heart. Everything in me now, I hate this part. Every stinking week. Okay, I'll get over it. Suppression. Okay. For a lot of years, I didn't get permission from anybody to say this, so just God. For a lot of years, I held this view that women do this, men do this. I don't know why. I just, men do this, women do this. And there's certain beautiful things of how we are created. And God created Adam and then he created Eve and there's this beautiful word called Azer, which means the completer of creation. The completion of creation wasn't man, the completion of creation was woman. And it wasn't just to be subservient, but it was to be with man in the garden. And it was perfect, and it was good, and it was beautiful, and it was shalom. And then sin comes in the world and breaks this thing up. And Paul reminds us through grace that, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church and give everything up. 
And wives, you are called to submit and love your husband. So it's this going back and forth. I'm just telling you, as I saw my daughter grow up, it was really hard to tell her that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in her. I saw firsthand of the gifts that God gives women and men. We have to be a place that figures that out. And you might be going, what are you talking about? We have to be a place where women continue to lead and to teach and to be who they're continuing to be. I'm just telling you, it's really hard to look at this verse when Paul says there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female, for all are in Christ. And to say, well, but we're still going to do this. We're not. We have to be better. If you want to write me an email, please do. And then I'll call you and say, let's just talk. Let's just meet. That was a deviation. How's everyone doing? We're almost done. The order we see all throughout Scripture, I'll be quick, maybe. It starts with peace, the garden, shalom. Sin enters the world and law comes in. And they're trying to figure out how to be set apart. Long period of time. Just a Genesis 1 and 2, then it's like Genesis 3, the rest of the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes. Not just talking about grace and forgiveness and repentance to bring us back here. But Jesus isn't interested in going reverse because there's something here. Paul comes into the point and he's like, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. And Jesus is like, I give you shalom, I give you peace, I give you grace. And so the greetings from the, all the way through to now, it's like, I'm going to remind you of the shalom of the past because God is pulling us to shalom again. So it's grace, 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 grace. And at the very end of the Bible, it's Revelation 21, 22. He talks about the total shalom once again of God. There I did it. I taught the whole Bible in 60 seconds. I'm telling you, it's shalom, it's sin, it's law, it's forgiveness, it's grace and peace to shalom again. So when Paul says grace and peace to you, my friends, what he's saying to you is the grace to remind you of what Christ has done for you. And he is pulling us forward to shalom once again, if you're heartbroken, if your family's in trouble right now, how God works is grace for the moment and shalom for your future. It's called reconciliation. He is in the work of pulling things together. So in this moment with grace needed for today, while living out the shalom we're headed into, let me remind you, Paul writes grace and peace. It's not from him. To you from God. Will you hear that this morning? God is saying to you, grace and peace to you. I've given what you need in the moment and I've got your shalom for the future. This is from you to God. It's not just simply Paul's words. Paul writes grace to you to display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe. Super specific for us in this series. One, we live out grace by asking, by asking and listening to each other before telling each other. 
We do this by not blocking the message from God by our behavior toward each other. And we do this by letting go of the offenses of others as they let go of the offenses towards you. There's peace for each other. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We do this by embracing hope and releasing fear. We do this by not adding to the anxiety that we're all experiencing to each other. We don't make life harder on each other. And we do this by bringing renewal into spaces that you have access to. If you were here last week, you saw a group of people who did little renewal projects. It's beautiful. My heart is that's not just a one-time thing. I would love to see this huge amount of money that's set aside that whenever you want to bring renewal to your world, we're now investing back into you. That's what I'd love to see, that it's ongoing. But we've got to figure that out together. So grace and peace to you. Hopefully that means something more as a church, as an individual, as an approach to your kids, as an approach to your spouse, as an approach to any kind of conflict. That God's grace in the moment is bigger than you could ever imagine. And he's pulling you to peace. So as we close here today, let me pray this prayer over you once again. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God bless you, my friends. Let's just continue doing this well together being who God wants us to be. Be a great vessel and a mobile temple of God wherever you go this week. I love you. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Yep.